Well, it's a weird time to have a new book hit the shelves, but I've always been a weird guy, so the shelves have been hit. My new young adult novel, Mal Rowe and the Midnight Organ Fight, is out now, and it's about two teen detectives trying to solve a series of crimes one particularly bloody summer in San Francisco. Now, there's a lot going on in the world right now. A pandemic, political unrest, protests, and a long overdue cultural conversation about race. So me talking about my new book feels, well, it just doesn't feel quite right. So look, I wrote a book. It's fast, it's funny, it's a good escape from modern life, but if you can't think about things like that right now, I get it. If you want to read it, or get it for your kid, go to your indie bookseller and they'll set you up. Putting it simply, if you could use a break from all the heaviness that's happening out there, read my book. And uh, if you need to sort of postpone that for a time when you can focus on it, uh, that's absolutely fine. I appreciate your support now uh, or at a future date. Okay, let's start the show. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. While we here, crawling through time, waiting on me to get on with our lives. Years creep on by, barely get through, harnessing fear to shape what we do. I hear your voice, whisper my name, teeth sinking in, cut to the of my guest today on the program, Lou Cannon. Let me tell you a little bit about Lou Cannon. The artist Clive Bell once said, it is not by their mixing and choosing, but by the shapes of their colors and the combination of those shapes that we recognize the colorist. Color becomes significant only when it becomes form. Keeping that in mind, Lou Cannon is a kind of sonic colorist, and her kaleidoscopic songs take on the most resplendent forms. And those forms, to reference Prince, strike curious poses all throughout her marvelous third album, Automatic Body. The Canadian singer-songwriter's work is constantly challenging how we think about sounds and shapes. And not only that, but the 10-track song cycle on her new album also confronts how we think about the human body and the granular curves of microgeography, the slithering backs of sea creatures, the geometry in drops of water, a breath in a bubble, the shoulder shove of a wave in the wild breaking over and over in the ocean. Partially recorded in Montreal with Grammy-winning arcade fire producer Mark Lawson and recorded in Toronto, Gray County, and the Russian River in Northern California, 
Automatic Body is a stirring and sensual album filled with underwater rhythms, beguiling melodies, and libidinous loops. From the inward tug of invisible desire to the oceanic groove of sleeper wave, this is dark, dazzling, and engrossing work. And our conversation was very much the same. And I loved it. Lou Cannon is thoughtful, reflective, and very, very cool. So here's my chat with Lou Cannon. Enjoy it right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. I think there's a kind of, I sort of laugh because in the evening, my husband says probably six or seven times every night, oh my God, just like looking at his phone, getting an update, joining a new conference call. So it's really hard to remove myself from that moment. And so I think I have like a pretty healthy, not healthy, a pretty um, steady flow of anxiety that's uh, just part of my day-to-day life right now and I have you know like many people I have um aging parents that I you know feel concerned about and think about often and trying to support them and you know making sure that they don't have to leave their house and um yeah but I I, it's kind of it's sort of moment to moment I find that you know I'm trying my best to also be a little bit playful I woke up this morning and my husband is very kind and often will make me tea in the morning before he goes to work and this morning he prepared me a tea that, um, and he makes the tea because he just has this perfect way of, of steaming the milk that I cannot accomplish for some reason. So he, he made me a tea and here's this like beautiful foam layer on top. And I, you know, starting my day and I took a big gulp of it, but it was like underneath was like a, like a really old wine that we had sitting on our counter for, so I just like took this giant gulp of sour wine and milk. And we had a giggle about it. So it's like, I think trying to be playful and like as light as we can be in those moments is helpful. But at the same time, it's hard. I, I found I find myself like turning to um, rom-coms. <laughs> you know, rom-coms from like the 80s and, and 90s. My, yeah. my, my family would watch on Friday night this terrible rom-com called Overboard with... Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. Sure. And um, and I found myself watching it on the weekend and sort of returning to those kind of shows just to find like ease and comfort and take my mind off things, which is, yeah, not usual for me. For me, it's like I, this is not the time to listen to Nick Drake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's too, it's yeah. just a little too yeah. bleak. And, and I think that yeah. you know, a lot of people are, are sort of watching Friends fr- from start yeah. to finish. Yeah. Yeah. You know. It's the nostalgic stuff, right? It's the, yeah. the stuff that brings you back to your, your youth and your, yeah, I haven't had, I haven't really had the, the appetite to dive into any new music at the moment. There's many things on my list that I would like to listen to, but it's, um, yeah, I'm sort of turning to the older stuff. And that even said, I find that I'm not even listening to music as much as as much as I normally do, um, which, you know, I guess makes sense. They say that like streaming is down right now. And so I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- there's something also about the past, which is there's something very safe about it because it's lived and, and you survived mm-hmm. it. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, when you think about the past, it's not that you didn't have anxieties and stresses in the past, but it's something that you actually passed through safely. Right. 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 Yeah, so there's something sense. about revisiting it that feels kind of good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, that might be it. You know, oh, we're getting deep here, Luke Cannon. I, I mean, <laughs> the thing is, I, I mean, the, the difficult, I, I wonder for you with your creative process, how has that been mm-hmm. affected? Well, I mean, I'm sort of at the phase, I'm not, I'm not currently doing any writing at the moment. Um, I, you know, I'm at, at the moment, I'm sort of focused on the promotional side of my, of my record, which I'll tell you is, is quite uncomfortable to be promoting a new record at this time. You know, I've spent this, you know, the last couple of years working really hard at this project and um, leading up to this moment. And you know, I should be feeling excitement to share it, but um, I, I'm feeling less of that, and it feels really indulgent to to ask people to to listen and to make space for this. So, a, a lot of my energy right now is, is focused on on that side of it, making sure I'm keeping on top of that element. I guess the creative side is coming through in the in the visual component, I guess, and. You know, I was I had this uh, video that I was supposed to shoot in the Russian River, and it, a lot of effort and work went into it with a dear friend of mine who lives in San Francisco, a director named Shelley Lewis. And you know, we'd been planning for weeks, and we had a troop of dancers and park permits and war, you know, wardrobe. And then suddenly, the whole world is infected with security, and that whole creative project just gets, you know, stepped on and gets put on hold. So you know, I, I'm trying to find a new way of of channeling that and I started working on another video project where I've asked um, friends and family to contribute clips and um, so it's user generated and ultimately if they want to participate they get sent a lyric and they write that lyric somewhere in their body and they film it on their own and they they send it to us on, online and so this is all of these clips are you know being uh, put together to create this sort of intimate and um, inspiring, I guess, lyrical video. So I, I think I'm still focused on really the visual creativity of my project. But even though I would like to be taking advantage of this extra time to write music, and um, I, I just don't find that I'm in the headspace to really do that, which is unfortunate. It makes me it makes me sad to hear that, you know, automatic body is something which is to be celebrated. And it makes me sad mm-hmm. that you've got this release date coming and you can't mm-hmm. really you can't really enjoy it the way that you would. You know, mm-hmm. that's such a bummer, mm-hmm. Lou. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's it's part of a big picture, you know, I'm just one little piece in this big puzzle of so many people going through. Yeah, it's heartbreaking to wrap my head around what what my community and what the world is experiencing right now and the loss and the suffering and the you know the anxiety yes it's terrible really is terrible was there or is there uh ever been a conversation about well we'll push it back a little bit or did you guys stay pretty firm about we're going to put it out at the end yeah that it's kind that's kind of an ongoing conversation that I'm having with my little team right now, the label and publicists and whatnot, and we're sort of taking it on a day-to-day basis. And um, 
yeah, I think there is there is definitely flexibility there, and and we're just going to do what feels right in the moment, and yeah, work up to that point and and see how it goes. I live about an hour and a half away from the Russian River, and uh, it would have yeah. been a cool video the way, what you're spot. talking about. Oh, it was going to be so cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have I have a real fondness for that area. Last year in February, when I was writing for this record, I took a week away and stayed in a little cabin in Jenner and did some writing, and it was the most magical experience. And you know, every day I would I would um, you know, finish work around four, and then I would take, you know, take my phone and my headphones and head down to Goat Rock Beach and go for a walk and listen to mixes and then get back at it. But the the odd part was halfway through, halfway through that week, rain started to come. And I, you know, when, as I was working, I was kind of shutting out the rest of the world, with the rest of the world. And it's part of the reason why I like working away from home is that I can sort of shut out just normal parts of my life and really sit down and dig in and focus. So I had kind of disconnected a bit and, you know, but sat working in this, in this little cabin and the rain just kept coming and coming and coming and, and it was beautiful. And I, the day that I left, I ended up um, grabbing a, a, a tea just as I was hitting the road in the morning. And I'm one of those people that leaves like way too much time to get somewhere because I just don't like that anxious feeling of wondering if I'm going to make it on time. So I got a tea at a, um, Cafe Aquatica and, you know, people were sort of chatting about, oh, all of this rain and there's some flooding on the roads and maybe you should take this route and that route. And so, you know, I hopped in the car and I, you know, put my final destination in my GPS and it, for part of the route, it took me along the coastal drive. And it's 10 minutes into the drive, I got the alarm on my phone, the state of emergency, the evacuation notification. Oh, and suddenly I was in an area I didn't know. There was, the road was completely flooded over and I didn't have any reception and I was totally panicking. And I think it took me maybe, four and a half hours to eventually make it to the airport. And it was one very kind gentleman in a corner store that led me through back roads to sort of make it to where I needed to go. But, uh, and then it absolutely devastating all the floods and businesses closed down in that area. And that was, yeah, I feel like I got out just in time. So I have this kind of funny association with this part of the world now um, with that terrible flooding and now with COVID-19, but I will, hopefully make it back some point soon. And uh, I really like to make it back and kind of explore a little bit further in that area. This record is sort of uh, born and delivered amidst emergencies. Yeah, I guess so. It's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, that's, it, it's really, um, I wonder thematically, what were you exploring? And did you find that there was a through line with the themes that you were sort of investigating on this record? Yeah. So the, so the record is called, as you know, automatic body and it's, it's um, the title borrows from ancient languages. So it's a play on the Greek rooted word auto meaning self and the Latin rooted word odd meaning to hear. And it's, the themes on the record are, it's really about growth and hearing your own body and recognizing central needs 
and finding a place for pleasure. And yeah, it's really just, a, I guess, an ode to the human experience and deals with intimacy and loss and imagination. And it's really just a reflection on being in a marriage for 10 years and the struggles in any long-term relationship to stay together and to, you know, sort of manage the wax and wane of passion. And um, yeah, so that's kind of what the record is about. I teach university here uh, just outside of Berkeley and uh, and we're closed too we're all we're all zoom learning right, but yeah. but i only mm-hmm. i only bring that up because i i learned and it took me to become a teacher to learn this that mm-hmm. when you write an essay for example you don't have to solve anything as a matter of fact the word essay mm-hmm. is a french word that just means attempt and mm-hmm. i find that in my own writing and in my own work now i don't feel the pressure to have to put a, a bow on something and say, that's what that means. And so for mm-hmm. you, with these themes that you're talking about, those are all fairly big themes that you just talked about this mm-hmm. record and exploring. Did you feel that you made headway on your own understanding and you didn't have that sort of feeling of like, okay, now I totally understand it. This is just me attempting to understand it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I'm ever going to totally understand any of those um, any of those larger themes. I think it's really just like a day-to-day, moment-to-moment process of learning and growing and changing and, yeah, and reflecting. Um, yeah. Did it? Did the writing of the album help you in your everyday life in terms of do you feel that you actually, um, it, that it was an enlightening experience to explore those sort of thematic elements? I do. I think that um, naturally there is, it's not that it starts a conversation, but it's it's saying something out loud that maybe isn't always said out loud. And it feels like, even though it's it's said to a larger audience, it feels a little bit easier sometimes to communicate in that way. And And even in the simplest form of maybe it starts a conversation with my husband and I, or maybe it starts a conversation with a group of my, my close friends. So yeah, it it feels a little bit like the start of something, the start of a conversation. Yeah. 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 I like that. I like that a lot. And I think those are themes that who knows, like you just keep, you kind of keep chipping away at them for Mm -hmm. uh, some type of enlightenment. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you you grew up in Eastern Canada, or I grew up in Ontario. Just yeah, in a small town just outside of um, out of uh, Toronto. Got it. Um, I have found that a lot of my interviews with Canadian artists, I have found that the community between Canadian musicians has always struck me. After as long as I've been in this business, it's always struck me as a really close relationship not that everybody knows and likes each other but that those who um are on each other's team are really tight-knit and stay that way mm-hmm. um, have mm-hmm. you found that the friendships that you've forged in this in this business have been of great comfort and support to you as an artist yeah you know i really have there are i mean in this business you you meet a lot of people a lot of people come and go from your life and there are those few people that really stay in this 
really hold this special place in your heart. And a couple of those people, one of them is Hayden, who happens to be my brother-in-law, but he's had, you know, he's also a dear friend of mine. Um, he's had a really huge impact in the way that I've made music and he's taught me so much over the years, even from lending me, you know, this drum machine, it was a Joe Mox and it completely changed my sound moving from my first record to my second record. Or, you know, another friendship I have um, is a woman named Leah Goldstein. She's part of a band um, here in Toronto called July Talk. And she has been so supportive and so wonderful in the most unexpected ways. So I think that, yeah, I think we're really lucky um, to have a close community of people that kind of look after each other and help each other out. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel so competitive. You know, you're not, you're not working towards your own project and taking away attention from someone else. You're really trying to bring in as much people as you can and collaborate and share and, and talk about other people's work too. So I think that's a, you're right, a unique part about um, the musical community here in Toronto. Are you a competitive <laughs> person with yourself? Cause you don't, you don't seem like the kind of person who would hear, hear a musician and go, Oh God, they're so good. Now I have to get better. But you seem like somebody who, who competes with maybe yourself more than others. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I am, I, I am competitive by nature. And I think a lot of people are competitive by nature. I find myself taking a lot of pride when I win a board game, which is very bizarre, little <laughs> moments like that. But in, in terms of, in terms of my musical peers, I think that I, you know, look sometimes at what they're doing and what they're working towards and accomplishing. And that's, that's inspiring for me. And maybe it pushes me harder and it makes me look, look at myself and say, am I really, you know, getting as, you know, as far as I want to get on this project? Can I push this a little bit further? Can I work a little bit harder? So, yeah, I guess it just makes you look at your own work you know, I have, there's a, a couple of friends, the Desner brothers, Aaron and Bryce, that are part of the National. And I, like, on a day-to-day -day basis, I am just blown away by how much they are able to accomplish and how, how, many, how many interesting people they're working with and how many festivals they're putting on. And it just, it totally blows my mind. And then I have to remind myself that they're not the norm <laughs> and that they are they are working at an incredible pace and and yeah so yeah just trying trying to do my best with you know doing what I can how protective are you when you are playing live there I always ask questions about persona because I'm kind of interested how protective are you of that persona maybe that's not the right way to put it when you play live and people have access to listening to you and seeing you in person, um, and then you're off stage. Do you feel that you shift back into who you really are, or, or is that like a projection? Are you able to separate the 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 on stage persona with the off stage version of you, or do you feel the two have merged? Um, I think that there is. I think that they have merged somewhat. But there is there is definitely a different persona when I'm on stage. I think it's I think when I'm off stage, I'm maybe a bit more I'm a bit softer and um, 
I just interact in a different way. And there's, there's this being on stage is almost like a safety net and I can just kind of do and be what I want. There's like a freedom to it, I guess, and in the performance element of it. Um, But I don't, I don't really feel, I don't feel like I need to overthink that part, you know, just trying to do what feels natural. And um, I think maybe in the early stages, I I really put a lot of thought into that, Um, you know, when I was communicating with people off stage. And now I just really try to be myself as much as I can. Um, And yeah, connect with people and, and communicate. Are you by nature shy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, as a kid, I was paralyzingly shy. I honestly, I would, I think I would turn into like a tomato four times a day, just, you know, blush. And it was, um, yeah, it was really challenging for me to do anything like public speaking. You know, I used to sing as a kid and I'd go to, you know, singing lessons and choirs and, and, you know, I'd take on solos every now and again. And that was extremely difficult for me. So it's something that I've definitely gotten better with at age, but yeah, inherently I am very shy. Are there still moments where when you're on stage that you that you remember that sort of shyness or do you feel that you can almost hide? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I think, um, I think one of the biggest moments for me was when in 2016, I was part of a, a beautiful fundraiser, a benefit concert and celebration that happens in Toronto. It's called dream serenade. And my brother-in-law Hayden and Christy, my sister put it on every year and it's, celebrating children with developmental and physical disabilities and their caregivers. And it's this 
you know, stunning night that takes place at um, Massey Hall, you know, the most beautiful venue in the city. And a bunch of artists come together and contribute for it. And I was performing and, you know, I was very excited and happy to be a part of it. And I found out the day of, maybe only an hour or so before, that I had to go on after Gord Downey. And which I was really nervous about. And he was the special guest of the night. And this is, you know, when he was um, struggling with his terminal diagnosis and the community was reaching out around him. And so, yeah, he he came on and came on to this, you know, glowing room, This all these eyes lit up like they just won the lottery and the standing ovation. And I remember having to step on the stage afterwards and I was the most anxious and the most shy and nervous. It's almost like I came back to that moment as a kid, um, following him up and the expectation of, of being after someone so so lovable and so brilliant. And and but then I find that I just I it's the walking up to the stage that's the hardest and as soon as I enter on, I'm able to sort of overcome that and get past that fear or that, that shy, anxious part of me. And so you did fine that night. I did. Yeah, I did. I did fine that night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it, okay. It, yeah. Because, because the setup to that sounds to me like, and then I hid for four hours under a table. It just sounds No, so but cool. I did. I did actually like a moment before I was supposed to go on, I sprinted to my dressing room in like opened a book just to see like I you know sometimes I bring um you know like a journal with lyrics and things in there that it, if I'm feeling nervous or my memory's you know not not uh, doing the best I'll, I'll take a peek at it so I was like about to go on stage and I like sprinted downstairs to the dressing room to like look at the first two lines of the song and like ran back upstairs so I think that was like my moment where I could have ran away and maybe not come back but <laughs> Um, but yeah, I made it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it, it's almost like you, you need to like center yourself with something still. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. You, you know, when I was researching you a few weeks ago, um, I noticed that in, in photographs of you, there is a fearlessness. Um, you mm -hmm. take such great pictures and you're so bold and and you sort of um embody such strength and i think fearlessness is the mm -hmm. word that came to mind immediately how do you feel about your picture being taken and what do you feel when your picture is being taken mm -hmm. yeah good question so you know I, I tend to collaborate and work with people i trust so the people behind the lens are more often than not women for photographs. I work a lot with a, a woman here in Toronto named Rebecca Wood and another woman named Vanessa Hines. And I think that I, I find it a little bit easier when there's a, a woman behind the camera and I find a, a little bit more freedom in the way that I can move and respond. And yeah, I, I think that that part really helps. And I, I tend to gravitate, I really gravitate towards the sort of unusual and awkwardness um, and thought-provoking photographs. So I, I, don't I don't typically, yeah, I'm not drawn towards the classically beautiful picture. And it, 
for, for many years, people around me would say like, you know, it's not a, you can look pretty in one of your photographs. And I was like, no, I just, I, I, I really want this unusualness, this awkwardness that, um, yeah. My, anyways, the visual component of my projects, they're, they are just as important to me as the music itself. And a lot of thought and effort and work goes behind that. I just recently put out a music video for Ancient Chamber. Yeah. And I spent weeks obsessing over how this video was going to look and feel. Everything from, you know, I started cutting out holes in pantyhose and, you know, with nail polish painting around the holes so they wouldn't run and make having making my mom come over with her sewing machine and just creating these like armbands and capes and and uh yeah, I have a lot of fun with that with that part of it, with the makeup and, and wardrobe and setting the mood and and I'm also really lucky to have a sister. My sister, um, Christy, is uh, Christy Garville is a is a art director, so she helps a lot with that side of it too, which is really helpful. Are your photographs are they challenging the sort of conventional thoughts around femininity? Yeah, yeah, you could say that. I like that. I can't believe your friend said it. You know, you can look pretty in one picture, you know? I, I No, like I know. It, and it's, <laughs> yeah. So it, it definitely made me laugh. It's just this, you know, this, this thing that I gravitate towards to make things a bit strange and, and um, yeah, just a, a bit bizarre and a bit weird, you know, I'm kind of captivated by weird. Yeah. Yeah, I am too. And they're sort of, they're confrontational in the sense, not in a combative way, but in a way that it challenges you to confront this idea that you have around, you know, conventional ideas of what beauty is. And so the mm -hmm. comment, though it's a funny comment, it kind of misses the point of, of what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Well, that was definitely yeah. in early stages of my career. And I think my community around me now recognizes, okay, you're going to get in the bathtub with water in it and stand on a chair and be in this bizarre outfit. Great. This is been, <laughs> I feel like my community around me is slowly learned to uh, accept and appreciate the approach that I'm taking. I like what you do because the, the images have an elliptical feel in the sense that there is a narrative that clearly has come before and there's one that will come after and we get this sort of middle moment. I love, I love that approach. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's very, it's very cool. Um, when you were a kid, were you artistic and did you come from a family that was artistic as well? Yeah, I did. Yes, I was definitely artistic as a kid and came from an artistic family. My mother was, she had this um, wild kind of craft room that was underneath the stairs of our house in this kind of small room, floor to ceiling, like scissors and fabrics and buttons and strange bits and bobs. And, and um, yeah, growing up, I would, I was, I guess, it's not that I was a loner, but I, I had a, a busy household. There was four girls. My parents had four girls and it was, my household was busy. So I, I found like, I found that I was always looking for a quiet place to sort of either write in my journal or 
and it sounds a bit cheesy, but sing. I would like sing to myself all the time and or tape songs from the radio. And yeah, I, my whole family really was artistic. My sister um, was a fantastic drawer and another one with photographs and yeah, so I feel like that was really nurtured in my childhood. So I was, I was lucky, lucky to have that. I have always felt like an outsider. Even when I was accepted, I always felt mm. like the outsider in the group that accepted me. I, I have just never felt comfortable mm. in any situation. And, mm. you know, I mean, behind a microphone, I've always felt the most comfortable. But I also found that as a writer, I found that the people that I was attracted to seemed to feel the same way. Um, so mm. whether it was, you know, Marky Smith of the fall or it was, um, you know, Hunter S. Thompson as a writer or uh, whoever, it just seemed to me that those were my people. And I wonder mm -hmm. for you, who was, who made you feel less alone? Um, who felt like a kindred artistic spirit when you were younger? Hmm. Well, I think really maybe just my siblings I don't know maybe my siblings that's a that's a good question do you mean someone that had success in an artistic career or just someone in my community I mean I think both but who you know in terms of like when you looked out there into the world and you thought and you listened to to a song or saw a painting or watched a movie and you went that's that's it that's how I feel. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, there are, there are a lot of artists that I can really strongly relate to, um, you know, like David Bowie and Kate Bush and Bjork for their sort of theatrical side of yeah. their performances and their sort of strong visual component component in their, you know, David Bowie, especially his, the way he constantly evolved from record to record and his appearance and his sound really grew and changed and his magnificent wardrobe. Um, so, you know, maybe those people. Yeah. Those are, Mind you, those are... when I was a little girl, I wasn't necessarily totally familiar with them, but if I were to imagine myself as a little girl, I think that I would relate to those those three the most perhaps yeah well those are those are titans all three of them <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and and so different too i mean bowie with the sort of theatricality of costume and persona um mm -hmm. York, you know so visually arresting and and kate bush so emotionally um mm -hmm. interesting performer and i don't think she gets her due in, in many ways for being so kind mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. but but yeah, those are, I mean, those are obviously three enormous uh, touchstones. Um, what about being Canadian? Did you feel, how has being Canadian informed your work or has it? I mean, do you, do you feel a kind of unique Canadian identity in your art? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't think that I do. I, I, yeah, I, I don't think that I do. I mean, there are definitely many Canadian artists that I, you know, relate to and love and take pride in the fact that they are Canadian, like Leonard Cohen and, and Gord Downey and Leslie Feist and, 
um, you know, many people from the Canadian community. But I don't necessarily see some, I don't really identify with it myself, something different from maybe another community, I guess. I mean, yeah. you've always known it, right? So it's hard to it's hard to sort of juxtapose mm -hmm. with anything mm -hmm. else. Um, mm -hmm. I know, I know, because I don't think of myself as an American writer, but I I do think of myself as a uniquely, um, not uniquely, but a very specifically Californian writer, in, in the sense that my work has a real. I think California has informed every sentence I write more so than being an American. Right. So um, right. You know, like right. I, yeah. There's a, you, does that make any sense? It does, and I can see how that would make a lot of sense. I, I personally don't feel that in myself in my work, but that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. There was a hidden cameras song. Remember that band? I don't remember the hidden cameras. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, yeah. They had this song called Mississauga Goddamn, and I think the singer is from Mississauga, and I thought. There is, I always love songs that reference places because I feel mm -hmm. like the place is reflecting something emotional about the mm -hmm. artist. And that song clearly mm -hmm. is reflecting something emotional about him. Um, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know if you know that number or, or if, you, if that makes any sense. No, it does. And I have a song on Automatic Body that's a song called MOTR, which stands for Mouth of the River, which is all about being part of that community and the Russian River. And so... Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's beautiful when people can sort of weave in a sense of place into into their writing. Yeah, and I even wonder sometimes if that sense of place is there and we don't even know it. Mm hmm. Hmm. You know, I yeah, mean, perhaps it is. What would happen if if you were sent to Greece to not because you're in trouble, but you're sent to Greece on some kind of writing grant where you get to go write? for a month in Greece. I wonder how the work would be informed by the atmosphere or the, ge the geography mm -hmm. more specifically. Yeah, I, I find for myself, I'm, I love to write anywhere but home. It's, I like to be in a new space that's exciting and break my normal routine. Um, and I sort of mastered, you know, picking the right things to bring with me on the road and, you know, traveling light and, setting up in hotels or random kitchen tables. And so that sounds like a really lovely challenge and it probably would inform my writing. And I'm sure I would be soaking in um, my surroundings and the atmosphere and, yeah. Well, I think we just figured out why sheltering in place is the worst thing for your writing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think we, we got there. Right there. We got, we got yep. there. We figured it out. Oh, <laughs> trouble. <laughs> what are your goals uh, creatively moving forward? And do you sort of think in terms of, you know, the next five years, or do you just think, you know, one foot in front of the other? Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But creatively, what do you, mm. what do you challenge yourself to um, create? I think because of the current situation we're in, I've sort of, my whole mentality has kind of shifted to one day at a time. And even certain expectations and desires I had with this record might not be available to me and might, might not be a possibility. So I think I'm really just living moment to moment. And, you know, 
more than anything, I just want to, I want to continue making music and continue to make, you know, videos and, and all of that. And I mean, maybe it's, maybe I'm going to be able to make another re record a lot faster than my last one, because I, there won't be much touring to happen in the next year. Who knows? Right. Um, yeah. I think that in, in the future, I would like to perhaps um, collaborate on a different level. I'm, I'm used to doing a lot of writing on my own. Um, and the last two records that I made, I had the pleasure of working with uh, a gentleman named Mark Lawson, who's based out of Montreal. Um, and you, we work really well together. And a, a lot of it is done through distance, just sending things. You know, I might record a demo and send it to him, and then he records something back, and it's bouncing back and forth. And then as the project sort of develops, then I'll go back and forth quite a bit to Montreal to record. And so I, I'd almost like to shake up that writing process a little bit and, and perhaps try to work with other people in a different capacity. Um, on this uh, past record, I really became, I became really um, fixated on the idea of having other voices on the record apart from my own, which is very new for me. And I think it was because I, I got this, you know, new, new piece of equipment called the OP-1. And essentially what it is, it's this tiny little keyboard sampler sequencer all in one that's like the size of a keyboard on a laptop. Wow. You can really, you can do anything with this little piece of equipment and you can take it anywhere. You know, it's working on the train. You can pull it out in any moment. But I got, I really got into sampling my voice and to pitch shifting my voice. And through doing that in my songwriting, I really became enamored with this idea of having more than one voice and not having this record just be mine. And so from that, starting from that little piece of gear, there's now, I think there's maybe 10 or so other people singing on my record. And that was kind of, it was a really important development for me. And it's an important part of this piece of work. And I, you know, I discovered this new app. It's called Landscaper, or sorry, Fieldscaper. And it uh, allows you to do field recording wherever you are. So I could be on the train to Montreal and um, I've, I became very much inspired by this one woman's voice that worked on the train. She had a very sing-songy, beautiful way of speaking. And she was also going back and forth between French and English. And so I spent, you know, a couple of trips sort of following her around and then eventually asked her if she would if I could record her and so now she's one of the voices on my record and I feel actually feel terrible because I didn't get her name so I can't credit her but um yeah that was something something that was different for me on this album so hopefully when I move to the next one there will be something else that becomes important and it's always something new to discover and because you think field recordings you think the percussive hum of the train or uh mm -hmm. you know, the banging of the of the um you know the, the workman's hammer uh or, or, yeah. or like you know field recordings we always think of other sounds you're so attracted to voice it's really interesting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and it's i mean the best part about it is that you can be in any moment and suddenly you just pull it pull out your phone and you just have to remember to press play i keep i keep or record i was um 
and making this uh, that video I was telling you about uh, next to you, the user-generated video, and been filming some footage on my own, and I keep forgetting to press record, <laughs> so I'll suddenly, you know, <laughs> have done this whole take, and I've got this great footage, and I'm really excited about it, and I'll go back to view it, and I'll, and I'll be like, what? I, how did I not press record? <laughs> so, and, yeah, learning to be a little bit more diligent in my, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a great little app. And was really fun to use while I was traveling back and forth from Montreal. And, and lastly, do you, when you look at your albums, do you see there is a clear progression artistically and an evolution? Um, do you see? Is that easier for you to see? Or because when I when I listen to the the music, I go, oh, look at look where this is all go. It's all going somewhere, which is really interesting. Where I just can't wait to see what you do mm -hmm. next. Um, do you mm -hmm. see it that way, or is it? How does it? How does it? How does it reveal itself to you? It does, yeah. I, I mean, I do, I see it as growth and change and me sort of evolving as an artist. If you look at the first record that I made, and I don't know if you've heard my first record, but that was, um, yeah. It's, it, yeah. So anyways, my first record was one that I made with Hayden and it was very singer-songwriter, you know, acoustic electric guitar. And then I discovered this new drum machine that totally changed my sound into this, you know, dark, um, textural, moody, bedroom style. So it's just, yeah, I think it, it's, it's slowly evolving as I'm evolving in character. And um, do I know exactly where it's going to take me? I, I don't. And I think that's maybe what attracts me to art. Is that, yeah, you don't really know where it's going to go. And yeah, you just work at it and let it lead you. Yeah, it feels to me like if I had to sort of describe it, I would say it feels to me like you're diving deeper in the water. So like now we are the textures, the layers, the nuances of the sound. Uh, it feels like you're you're mm -hmm. you're going deeper and deeper. You're like you're like an artistic diver. Um, mm -hmm. Deep sea diver. That's an and compliment. I'm... Thank you. <laughs> oh, I might add that to my uh, my description on Instagram. Artistic <laughs> deep diver. I like it. <laughs> it's true. It seems like you're like you're uncovering, you know, in the sort of to explore that metaphor, the sort of like the sort of um, the creative fathoms that are that are below. Uh, you're sort of plunging headfirst into those, and especially here on this new album, where, where I'm hearing things that I just haven't heard before, and it's so mm -hmm. fun to watch an artist do that because it's like, oh, you're not making the same record twice. <laughs> like that's not mm -hmm. going to happen, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's a nice compliment. That's exactly where I strive to be. And that's and we're all heading towards discovery. That right? We're just we're mm -hmm. trying to who, know, who knows where it stops or where we end up, but you just go ahead first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I loved this conversation. Thank you for being willing to uh, go deep with me here. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Alex. It's nice to meet you. Very nice to meet Lou Cannon. Uh, go to her website, lucannon.com. That is uh, one N 
in the name and L-O-U-L-O-U-C-A-N-O-N.com and order yourself a copy of her new album, Automatic Body. It is a stunner. And go to my website, alexgreenonline.com, and if you're so inclined, order a copy of my book, Malroe and the Midnight Organ Fight. Stereo Embers of the Podcast is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use and uh, subscribe. Leave a nice comment or two. Maybe you have three in you. Leave as many as you like. Give us a rating. Tell all your friends. What more can I ask of you? That's it. That's all I'm asking. Hit a couple of buttons for me. And, uh, and I'll be happy. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor or on Instagram at Embers Podcast or email me editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Let's close the show with another new song from Luke Cannon's Automatic Body. This is a song called Next to You. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. Close my eyes and open
And then the next thing you just step over me and then you grab the blanket off the bed and wrap yourself up on the side. No, I'm exhausted. I'm going to be peaceful. As I was just there wanting to kill you, you looked very peaceful.